0: Welcome to SNC's podcast series SNC Critical Insights. My name is Stuart Robertson. I am co-head of our Global Product Development and Finance Group. We've been hearing more and more about proposals for a multilateral investment court to resolve investor state disputes. Last month, there was a session of the UN working group on investor state dispute settlement reform that was devoted to discussion of the standing court As someone who has negotiated dozens of investment agreements over more than 30 years, this is something I'm pretty concerned about. So I've asked Joe Newhouse, the head of our arbitration group, to bring us up to speed on the current state of play. Hello, everyone. So the meeting last month was of something called Working Group 3 of the United Nations Commission on International Trade Law, or UNCITRAL. UNCITRAL arbitration rules are widely used in investment arbitration. One study concluded that they applied in 31% of known investment arbitrations filed from 1987 to 2017. Working Group 3 is a unit of on trial that has been meeting for the last three years on reform of investor state dispute settlement, or ISDS. We'll discuss whether that meeting offers any clues for what changes to the ISDS system might or might not be in store. But before we get to that, Joe, can you give us a little background on these reform efforts?
1: Sure. As you know, the basic model for resolving disputes between foreign investors and sovereign states for decades has been bilateral arbitration. That can be before tribunals operating under an umbrella institution such as ICSID, which is run by the World Bank, or before ad hoc tribunals. That model has been incorporated into thousands of bilateral investment treaties between states and presumably many more investment agreements. There are various models for picking the arbitrators for such tribunals. But the most common is that each side picks an arbitrator, and the two party-appointed arbitrators pick a chair, or the arbitral institution may choose the chair. So beginning about five years ago, criticisms of this model exploded from specialized academic commentary into the mainstream. The core issue is really the extent to which a state is willing to give up to an unelected body its sovereign power to regulate But the more detailed criticisms boil down to more or less three sets of concerns. First, there are claims that the system is insufficiently transparent, a kind of secret justice or star chamber where important issues for developing nations in particular get decided. Second, there have been claims that the tribunals are biased in favor of the investor or at least against developing states. And the third concern has been the claims that the decisions of these numerous separate tribunals are inconsistent. I think it is fair to say that the international arbitration bar pretty uniformly believes that the criticisms regarding bias are not supported by the facts. For instance, states generally win a higher percentage of ISDS cases than investors, and research shows no correlation between success rates of claims against states and their development status. At the same time, the arbitration community has more or less grudgingly accepted that there may be a need for greater transparency. In fact, as early as 2014, UNCITRAL produced a convention that alters existing investment treaties to provide for hearings that are open to the public and for amicus submissions. And a somewhat unscientific but widely quoted annual survey of arbitration practitioners found last year that a substantial majority of investor respondents believed that reforms to ISDS were warranted to improve consistency and efficiency of the current system.
0: So, Joe, is it fair to say that these reform efforts come from a consensus that there is something that can be improved in the current ISDS system, even if there's not necessarily any consensus view on how it should be fixed?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, to speak in sort of broad generalities, I think most investors would prefer that the existing arbitral model of ISDS be retained and improved in some way. By contrast, some states, and most importantly, the European Union, would like to move away from the arbitral ISDS model entirely and towards the creation of a multilateral investment court. So in 2017, in the midst of all the tumult UNSUTRAL established a working group, Working Group 3, that you mentioned, to consider the issue of reforming ISDS. Now, Working Group 3 is a new creation. UNSUTRAL has long had a working group called Working Group 2 that has been focused on relatively technical issues of how arbitration arbitrates, both between commercial parties and between investors and states. The state delegations in Working Group 2 have always included Arbitration practitioners. I was, for many years, an advisor to the U.S. delegation and participated in UNSITRAL sessions in Working Group 2. Working Group 3 has seen a much greater participation by government officials. As a kind of, I don't know, emblematic example, Andres Hanna, the current chair of Working Group 2, is in private practice in Santiago, Chile. Whereas the current chair of Working Group Three, Shane Splesy, is the general counsel of Canada's Trade Law Bureau, a government official.
0: Okay, so so Working Group Three has been established and it tends to lean towards states.
1: What has it been doing for the past three years? Well, for the first year or two, it spent a fair amount of time basically airing grievances and collecting thoughts. Last year, the UNCTAD secretariat, together with ICSID, produced a first draft of a code of conduct for arbitrators that was immediately pretty controversial. That discussion continues. There's also been discussion of a multilateral advisory center for investor state disputes. But the most recent session in February was the first that was devoted to the multilateral investment court.
0: Joe, in a nutshell, what is the multilateral investment court idea? What exactly does a multilateral investment court model look like?
1: Well, it's most basic. It is the idea that ISDS should do away with ad hoc arbitration, that is, arbitrators appointed by the parties for a particular case, and move towards a standing court of judges. The vision is one that would replace traditional ISDS with a selection of three randomly assigned judges from a standing court panel appointed solely and remunerated solely by the state parties to the court. Probably the most vigorous proponent of the multilateral investment court has been the European Union. The EU has entered into a series of bilateral investment treaties, first with Canada and more recently with Vietnam and Singapore that envisioned creation of an investment court system rather than traditional bilateral arbitration tribunals. And in working group three, the EU has consistently advocated for the creation of such a court.
0: Joe, in this system then, investors would never be able to have a say in who hears
1: their claims? That's correct, and obviously that worries a lot of people. Having a court appointed solely by states also might lead to more political appointments.
0: That indeed would be a worrisome development. But from my perspective, having negotiated many of these agreements, the ability to choose an arbitrator based on his or her relevant expertise is one of the major advantages of arbitration. Now, I gather there is also discussion of the pellet mechanism. Would that be a component of this court system proposal too?
1: Yep. A standing appellate body, similar in some ways to the WTO, is a part of the EU's multilateral court proposal. There is also a separate proposal for a standing appellate body to which appeals from ad hoc tribunals might be taken. So proponents of the appellate body say that it will lessen inconsistency in arbitral decisions. The poster child for this argument is a series of claims against Argentina in the mid to late 2000s arising out of Argentina's emergency economic measures. In three separate arbitrations called CMS, Gas, lg Energy, and Continental Casualty, Argentina raised the same defense necessity related to the same emergency economic program and under the same treaty. One tribunal, CMS, rejected it and the other two accepted it in three years. An appellate body, the reasoning goes, could correct errors and provide additional predictability to the ISDS system. On the other hand, of course, Providing for appeals would inevitably increase the time and expense of resolving claims. And the scope of review of this appellate body might be very broad. The EU's proposal would have the appellate mechanism not only be able to correct errors of law, but also revisit any, quote, manifest error in determining the facts.
0: So you've said that the EU is the driving force behind the multilateral court model proposed. Where are other states on this issue?
1: Well, the United States has been so far pretty studiously neutral, although at times it has suggested that it prefers bilateral tools to address any defects in the current system as opposed to grand systemic reform. Other countries, such as Japan, Chile, and Russia, have signaled some skepticism. And what tea leaves can we read from this most recent meeting? Much of the discussions was related to technical questions about the functioning of the proposed court. For example how exactly judges would be selected and appointed, what qualifications they would possess, and their terms of office. These were entirely exploratory discussions. No conclusions were reached. But there was also a sense of a possible aha moment for some states. Two important issues appear to have grabbed the attention of states, although they seem kind of obvious. First, several states objected to losing their ability to appoint adjudicators in their own particular case. There were suggestions for alternative methods of selection of arbitrators besides a standing court. One was that there would be a two-stage process with independent expert bodies, you know, quote, screening candidates from which states could then select the panel. Another suggestion was to involve industry and professional associations in a so-called consultation stage in selecting candidates, again, for standalone tribunals. The second issue that attracted a lot of attention was cost. Several states raised questions about who would actually pay for this standing court system. After all, standing judges need to be paid, as do their administrative support staff and overhead. And there has been some suggestion now that the EU itself or one of its large members like Germany might volunteer to foot the bill. But states appeared to be sensitive to the importance of ensuring that the source and allocation of funding would not endanger the independence or maybe more importantly, the appearance of independence of the body. There was also discussion of a user pay system or an assessment based on the level of economic development. Maybe most significantly, the secretariat was tasked with coming up with a cost estimate by the next session based on the budgets of other international courts. I suspect that is going to be a fairly large number and might dampen some of the enthusiasm for the court. Likewise, although there appeared to be general interest in an appellate mechanism, The discussions at the meeting revealed a lot of disagreement about the design and function of the mechanism. For example, states disagreed as to the scope of review, whether there would be any interlocutory appeal system applying to, for example, decisions on jurisdiction or interim measures. Or whether the appellate mechanism could directly modify the award in question or would need to remand the award to the first instance tribunal, a whole host of technical issues.
0: So, neither reform seems to be a forgotten conclusion then.
1: I think that's right. It seems like states began to realize that the multilateral court model might be theoretically attractive, a nice sweeping reform, but in practice, it might have some unattractive features for them in terms of cost and lack of control. I think states' positions, with the exception of the EU, which is pretty fixed in its views, I think most states appear to be somewhat fluid and open to change.
0: So, we need to wait and see. Joe, this is a fascinating topic and an important area to watch. Whether and to what extent these reforms are pursued will ultimately have a profound impact on not just arbitrators and arbitration practitioners, but more importantly, the ability of international investors to protect their investments from unreasonable state interference. Sullivan and Cromwell will, of course, be keeping a close eye on the drafting negotiation process for further insights. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.sullkram.com. Thank <laughs> you.